I converted after seminary, um, not to Christianity, but to the Packers. I was drafted to Green Bay, and uh, I grew up in St. Louis, so I was a St. Louis Cardinals fan, which was very hard to be a fan of. Uh, if you knew anything about St. Louis Cardinals, they were not very good. And then I was uh, briefly a fan of the St. Louis Rams until uh, I moved on to college. And then after seminary, I moved up to Green Bay and quickly became a Packers fan because I had something to cheer for, which was very nice. But one of the things is when you come to town and you become a Packers fan, or if you become a fan of any football team, what you do is you start going out and buying signs, signs that indicate your allegiance to this team. And so when I came to town, I started going garage sale shopping, went to thrift stores, went to Walmart to find things that had this big green G on it, right? A hat with a big green G, a shirt with a big green G, pants with green G's, shoes with green G's, socks with green G's. There are boxers out there with green G's. I don't have those, but it's not your business anyways. <laughs> but you go looking for these things to identify yourself with a team. Last week, you may remember, I ran out of time. And God makes these gracious promises and in turn asks us to make a sign, committing ourselves, identifying ourselves with the Lord God. Last week, we saw that God reveals himself to Abram as El Shaddai, the powerful one, the almighty one. And he does this because, not because he's insecure and he needs to puff up his ego, but because God makes audacious, impossible claims. And he makes these claims to Abram, that even though Abram is 99 years old and his wife is not much younger, that they will have a multitude of descendants. And then we also see God makes a promise that they will inherit the land of Canaan. And finally, God makes this the best promise, which is that he himself will be their God. That the Lord, the true God, will be their God. And he promises these things to Abram. He says, I am powerful enough to accomplish them. I am El Shaddai, the Almighty. And so now we look this week to continue with that. If you would open up to... Genesis chapter 17, I believe it's page 10, 11 in your Bible in there. And uh, we're going to focus on verse 9 through 14 today, but I'm going to read 1 through 14. Uh, so last week we looked at verses 1 through 8, and in looking at, we saw these promises from God of what God was going to do in this covenant of grace. And then this week, what we see in verses 9 through 14 is our response to God's covenant of grace. Okay, that's what we're going to look at today. So let's read Genesis 17, verse 1 through 14. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you 
and to your offspring after you, the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And then here's where we'll focus today. And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Let's pray. God, as we come to this text today, Lord, and we see the response that you require of us for your amazing grace, pray that you would give us moldable hearts, humble hearts, amazed that you would look upon us and show your favor towards us. God, we are prone to wander as we sung about today, Lord. Prone to leave the one we love. God, pray that you would draw us to yourself in these moments to show us your goodness and how great you are. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So how are we to respond to God's covenant, his contract, his promises of grace? Well, we see in this passage a few things. In verse 1, God calls us to live righteously in his ways, to pursue the perfection of who God is. He also uh, shows us in verse 3 how Abram responds. Abram falls face down in worship of God. But the bulk of the text, which we're going to look at today, from verse 9 to 14, deals with a singular way of responding to God's covenant of grace. And that's by applying the sign of the covenant to us and to our household. You know, we, uh, the, the sermon's kind of set up weird today. Uh, I basically just have one main point with eight subpoints. okay? So follow along with me. Uh, in seminary, they tell you not to do this, and today we might find out why. But <laughs> one point, eight subpoints, and then one major application at the end, okay? So what we're going to see, first off, is that Abram and his descendants are called to apply the covenant sign. As a response to God's grace, God says, apply this way, apply this sign to your descendants, acknowledging that I am your Lord God. Verse 9, read along with me if you would, if you have your Bibles open. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. And then here it is. This is their end of the contract, their end of the covenant. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now, we went through the book of Galatians, and we talked about what is circumcision. And I'll give the same advice to you now that I did then. If you don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents, and they will tell you what circumcision is. If, if that still doesn't clarify, uh, I think we'll probably get Pastor Dan Breed up here to answer any questions. But 
throughout the rest of, it's good to have you here, Dan, by the way, yeah. Um, but, but throughout the rest of this text, we learn a lot about what circumcision is, the purpose of this covenant sign, okay? First off, we find out that circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with man. Look at verse 11 with me. He says, you are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. What does it mean that it is a sign of the covenant, a sign of the promises of God? You know, just yesterday I was working on my sermon and my uh, son Caleb comes in and he, he just likes to come and sit on my lap while I work and I enjoy having him there and working. And we're sitting there and he points to my hand that's typing and he goes, Daddy, can you take that off? And uh, I said, whoa, what was that? <laughs> Um, I said, I said, take what off? He goes, can you take that thing off your finger? And I go, oh, you mean this ring? He goes, yeah, can you take that off? I said, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take it off. And I said, and he said, well, why not? I said, you see, Caleb, this is a covenant sign between your mother and I. It is a reminder that we have devoted ourselves to one another, that we are committed to one another. And he says, well, why don't, why don't you ever take it off? And I said, because it shows that I belong to your mommy and that your mommy belongs to me. And more importantly, that we belong to no one else besides the Lord. I said, is that cool, Caleb? He goes, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but you see, we, we're familiar with covenant signs because many of us have a covenant sign on our finger. And many of us long to have a covenant sign on our finger, a reminder of who we belong to. And what we learn in this passage is that the Lord says, I am your God, and I want you to put this covenant sign that reminds the people, that reminds yourself that, that I am your God. And so he says, circumcise yourself. This is a reminder to you that I am the Lord God. The second thing we see is that this covenant sign should be applied to infants. Verse 12, he says, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, including those born in your household. Now, what's very interesting about this is that, obviously, infants cannot show saving faith in God. Abraham did. He showed saving faith in the Lord God. We read back in Genesis 15 that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we see that repeated several times in the New Testament as well. But for a baby, they can't show faith yet. They're just a child. And yet he says, apply the sign of the covenant to your whole family, even to the babies that can't show faith. You know, for some of us, this might seem like we're forcing or that, that God was forcing them into this covenant community. But in reality, we do this all the time. You know, I got all my stuff with the letter G on it, but then my kids started to be born, right? And if you've ever had a child in Green Bay, at least at St. Mary's, I think it's at all the hospitals, they send the kid home with a cap. And what are the colors on that knit cap? Green and gold, right? So even from birth, they're brought into this community of Packers fans, right? And then you start buying them shirts and hats and all that stuff, cheerleading outfits. It's really cute. But you're saying, this is the team that we root for. This is the team we cheer for. You know, just this past week, my son was joking with me, and he said, I'm going to cheer for the Giants this week. And I said, well, it's going to be cold out on the front lawn, but feel free to do that. But we raise our children, teaching them who we're going to cheer for. And God says, you are to raise your children in this covenant community, teaching them who to worship, expecting them to worship this Lord, the God, for all their life. And so they applied the covenant sign 
to their children, even to their infants. Um, the third thing we see is that the covenant sign should be applied to foreigners. I put household in your bulletin. It's not what I was trying to get at. It's applied to foreigners. Verse 12, again, it says, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, including those born in your household, which we just talked about, or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Now, this may not seem like a big deal, but the reason why I want to point this out is because there are some who think that circumcision was just a, a national sign, like it was for just the Jews, just the children, the biological children of Abraham, just the Israelites. Those were the people that were circumcised. But even from the very beginning, God says this sign of the covenant is to be applied across nations, across, you know, across language barriers. This is for everyone who trusts in the Lord their God and their household. And so apply the sign of the covenant. You see, God was not setting apart a race or a nation. God was setting apart for himself a faith community. And the sign of this faith community was circumcision. And so this applied even to foreigners. The next thing we see is that the sign represents an everlasting covenant. He says, verse 13, My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. God will forever uphold his end of the covenant. And we are called to uphold our end of the covenant, of applying the covenant sign to us and to our household. The fifth thing we see is that this covenant sign is not optional. Verse 14, Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now this is a serious warning from the Lord God. He says, if you do not cut off the foreskin, you will be cut off from the people of God. You will be sent away. Now, now I don't know about you, but when I first read this verse, I'm thinking, that seems pretty harsh, God. Like, why would you send them away just because they would not apply this covenant sign? But in reality, Jesus says something very similar to that in the New Testament. In Matthew 10, he says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And so when we fail to apply, when Abram and his descendants fail to apply the covenant sign, they are denying their relationship with the Lord God. They are, they are disconnecting themselves from God. And God is a jealous God. Not in a bad way, not in an insecure way, but in a beautiful way. God is a jealous God. Let me demonstrate it to you like this. I wear this ring all the time. Uh, I don't think you have to to be a good married man, but I wear this ring all the time, and I never take it off because it's a reminder to me of who I belong to and a reminder to everyone else that I don't belong to them, right? Now, if I, if I decided, okay, I'm going to go out, there's a bachelor party, or I'm going out with the guys, right, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to take this ring off. I'm going to just put it in the drawer. How offended would my wife be? <laughs> how, wives, how offended would you be? Pretty offended, right? Because what you're doing is you're taking the covenant sign, you're putting it away to tell the world that you are single and that you are free for anyone. That you are willing to do things that an unmarried man should not do. That you are not committed to your wife. And there is a godly jealousy that comes about. A wife that desires her, the sole attention of her husband. 
In the same way, God says, apply this covenant sign so that you are reminded and the world knows that I, the Lord, am your God and that there is no other God for you but me alone. And he is jealous for us. Now, this is a wonderful thing. I mean, think about it. You know who you are. You know you're not pretty on the inside, that you're messed up, that you're dirty, that you you mess up frequently. You know that God sees more of your sin than even you do. And yet God is jealous for you. He is jealous for your worship, for your attention, but he is jealous for your heart. God wants you. He's jealous for you. He loves you. And so he says, apply this covenant sign. It's a reminder to you and to me that we belong together, that we identify to one another. So we see that the covenant sign is not optional. As we move out of this passage, we also see a few more things. We see that the covenant sign does not save the people of Israel. You see, the physical circumcision that God requires was to be symbolic of the inward circumcision that he required in people's hearts. We look in, uh, in Deuteronomy 10 and Jeremiah 4, and they say the same thing. They say, God says, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And so the external circumcision is to be a sign of something someone is supposed to do on the inside. Internally, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Romans chapter 2 puts it this way. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is only is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. See, circumcision was not to be an external thing. It was something to be done by the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Now, I'm a kind of a visual person, and so uh, I have this diagram that helps me. Maybe it helps you, maybe not. But what we see here is that there is the visible people of God which in the Old Testament is called Israel, and it's circumcision of the flesh. We have Genesis 17 up there. This is also in your bulletin as well. But Genesis 17 up there, which we read today, that we see God requiring to be part of this covenant community. But then there is the invisible people of God, those who truly trust in Christ for their salvation, truly trust in God. And it says that they are required to have a circumcision of the heart. And so for the Israelites... That new God, their hope and expectation was that as they brought their child into this covenant community, that they would truly indeed trust in God for their salvation as Abraham did. We'll continue this illustration more in a little bit. But this is helpful to see that what does it mean if circumcision does not save, then what does it mean? It means you are bringing them into a community where they will hear the word of God. They will hear the good news of salvation hoping and trusting that they will place their trust in Jesus Christ. We also see that whoops. We also see that circumcision signifies Christ cutting away our sin. You know, when I read the the the, the covenant of circumcision, uh, my first response honestly is ouch, right? Like that does not sound like fun. Like why doesn't God say, you know, cut your fingernails, cut your hair? No, circumcision why would God do that? And I think one of the reasons, there's many, but one of the reasons is God wants to show that his covenant of grace is brought by the shedding of blood. You see, no matter how painful circumcision might be, it is nothing compared to the pain and suffering that Christ endured when he shed his blood for us on the cross, when he took on our guilt, our shame, our sin. 
And when he went to the cross and he died for us by shedding his own sin, we are told that he separates us from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. That for all eternity, we will be able to walk in holiness before God. That God will see us as holy because Christ has separated us from our sin. He has cut off our sin. There's a movie that comes to mind when I read this passage. It's called The Mission. Maybe you've, you've seen it. It's with Robert De Niro. And, and in this movie, Robert De Niro is a slave trader, and he's a mercenary. So he's just kind of this filthy guy. Well, he, he ends up killing his brother, and he is depressed, and he just spirals downward. And finally, somehow he encounters a priest. I don't remember how. But the priest prescribes to him a, a way to pay off his sin, a penance. And his penance is to drag around this huge bag of armor. And it's kind of like a ball and chain. And so everywhere he goes, he's dragging around this armor, trying to pay off his sin. And, and, and one of the most painful parts of the movie, you actually see him climbing this mountain uh, along these waterfalls. And he gets to the top and he's absolutely exhausted. And the priest comes up and he cuts off the armor and he throws it down into the valley. This is a picture of what Christ does for us. He cuts off the guilt of sin. We're told there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And it is sent away as far as the east is from the west. It is on the ocean floor, we are told in the scripture. But our sin is cut off from us. And so do you carry around a bundle of guilt for something that you've done or for something that you should have done but didn't do? What we learn is that Christ at the cross cuts off that sin from us. That's what circumcision represents, according to Colossians 2. That Christ has cut off our sin. That no longer, if we trust in Christ, no longer will we be judged according to our sin, but we will be judged according to Christ's righteousness. Finally, and this is where the application comes in, and we'll spend quite a bit of time here. Circumcision is a shadow of a greater covenant. Last week, we talked about shadows in the Old Testament. There are several shadows in the Old Testament that point to something greater. We illustrated it by talking about, if you remember, my family and I, we went to uh, St. Louis over Thanksgiving. And when you get there, there's the arch, right, that, that welcomes you into the city. And on a sunny day, it casts shadows. Now, if we went to St. Louis and we said, all right, kids, you know, go walk on the shadows, play in it, touch the grass, you know. And it was, all right, let's go home, you know. We would have missed it, right? Because the shadow pointed to a greater reality, something amazing, the arch itself. These shadows point to something greater. Last week we saw God promises Abram descendants that is fulfilled physically. We see that in Matthew chapter 1 when we see all the descendants that come from Abram, Abraham. But there's also, it's a shadow of a greater promise, a shadow that God will also give spiritual descendants. He will give the church. It says this in Galatians 3, 7. It says, it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And so the physical descendants was the shadow of a greater promise of the church and his spiritual descendants. God also promised Abram land. He said that he would inherit the land of Canaan. But we know that Abraham looked to more than just that piece of land. Hebrews eleven ten tells us that Abram was looking forward to the city that had foundations whose designer and builder is God. He was looking forward to the ultimate promised land of heaven. And so those were shadows. And in the same way, circumcision is a shadow 
of a greater covenant. You know, no longer, as far as I know, churches do not do a circumcision party or a circumcision sacrament or anything of that, that way. And the reason is, is because in the New Testament, the Christians had to deal with this. Does God still require circumcision of those who trust in him? And in Acts 15, I won't go into it all, but the council meets and there is a resounding no. And in other passages in the Bible, Paul says circumcision doesn't have any value. He says if you circumcise yourself to be saved, then, then Christ is useless to you. And so no longer are we as a, as, as a sign of the covenant to circumcise our children. Now, we do it for health reasons and other reasons, but not as a religious ritual to God. See, the covenant of God's grace continued. You know, he said it was an everlasting covenant. The grace covenant continued, but the sign changed. And we read that in Colossians 2, verse 11 and 12. It says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And then what does this circumcision by Christ look like? Having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So the, the sign of God's covenant is no longer circumcision. The sign of God's new covenant is baptism. And just as circumcision pointed forward to the shedding of blood, baptism points back to the resurrection of Christ, our hope and our glory. Now, Whenever we talk about this, there is actually, you know, there's, there's always kind of an elephant in the room at Jacob's Well. And this is a great chance to talk about the elephant. Uh, many of you know, most of you probably know that we're actually Presbyterian. Oh, it's true, we are. And, and people come despite the fact that we're Presbyterian. And, you know, we don't, we don't wave it on banners because that's not, that's not what we're all about. We're about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're Presbyterian in nature. And one of the unique things about being Presbyterian is that we actually baptize households. And it's a continuation of the circumcision covenant. I was actually with a friend. We went to the Gospel Coalition Conference. And we were sitting down and we were picking each other's brains on the things that we heard the speaker saying. And we were sitting down. I still remember it vividly in my head, sitting down over dinner. And uh, I, I said to my friend, I said, what do you think about baptizing babies? And he had a one-word definite answer. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And then there was this awkward pause, and he kind of looked up. He goes, you don't actually believe that, do you? <laughs> you know, for some of you, this is ridiculous. You're like, how could this even come about? Is this just history? Is it just tradition? Why in the world would you baptize households? Why would you baptize infants? And I don't expect everyone to drink the Kool-Aid. I don't expect everyone to believe. But what I hope is that you will see it is not so ridiculous. There is a sound biblical reason for it. And I just want to kind of share that with you um, today. So pretend real quick. Um, pretend that you are a first century Jew. All right. You're a first century Jew. Your parents and your parents' parents and your parents' parents' parents and your parents' parents' parents, parents, parents for 2,000 years have circumcised your household, okay? That's what they have done for 2,000 years. Now comes along these people that say, you know what, we don't circumcise anymore. Now we baptize. That is the sign of the covenant for us. For them, the expectations were that 
that it would have meant very much the same things. And so if you look at the outline in your bulletin, we can apply baptism as the covenant sign for all of these things. If you look along with me, it says, baptism is a covenant sign of God's covenant with man. The covenant sign of baptism should be applied to infants. The covenant sign of baptism should be applied to foreigners, not just Jews. The sign of baptism represents an everlasting covenant. The covenant sign of baptism is not optional. The covenant sign of baptism does not save. And the covenant sign of baptism signifies Christ washing, that changes, washing away our sin. And so let me show you just kind of the continuity between these two. If you would put up the, so we see in the Old Testament, again, I'm a very visual person, so this helps me. Uh, we already looked at the Old Testament. If you look at the New Testament, uh, this outer ring is the visible church. And the church is made up of those who make a public declaration to God. It is, it, and no longer do we do that through circumcision, but we do that through baptism, dedicating our household to the Lord. And our hope and expectation is that our children would indeed trust in Christ, that the things that baptism symbolizes, they would claim as their own, and they would become part of the invisible church, those who truly are saved. Acts 2, 38 through 39, where, where in Pentecost, Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, For the promise is for you and for your children. Same language used in Genesis chapter 17. And then as we go from there, every time someone comes to faith in Christ in the New Testament, every single time when their family is present, not only they, but their whole household gets baptized. We see Lydia, the seller of purple, places her trust in Christ, and then her whole household gets baptized. We see the Philippian jailer places trust in Christ. The whole household gets baptized. We see in 1 Corinthians, the household of Stephanus is baptized by Paul. And so whenever family is present, the whole household is baptized. And so there is a logical reason to believe that the time of application of the covenant sign is the same. And so that's why we believe that God asks us to do household baptism. One more thing that I want to show you that's helpful for me, and just kind of, this is me processing my thoughts I actually, to just give you a little my story, I grew up Catholic, and so uh, when I came to faith in Christ, I really questioned, is, is this right to do, or is this just tradition, because I wasn't sure. And looking at Colossians 2 was really helpful for me. It, it represents, circumcision represents cutting away of sin and inclusion into the people of God, which was Israel, and a life dedicated to God. Baptism, very similarly, represents washing away of sin and inclusion into the people of God, the church, and a life dedicated to God. Circumcision done by Christ is a circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit, which transforms our heart. Romans 2.29. A man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. But the baptism done by Christ is a baptism of the Holy Spirit as well, which transforms our heart. And Mark 1.8 says, I John says, I baptize you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so you see the continuation of the covenant sign to a newer and a greater covenant. One of the things, and what we see is with these covenant signs is that they set us apart as the people of God. Let me end with this story. Uh, many of you know I heat my house with wood. 
and and God provides wood from various sources. It's amazing. As a matter of fact, if you have trees you don't want, let me know. I'll come cut them down for you for free, as long as it doesn't hang over your house. Uh, but 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 if if someone says, hey, you can come take my trees, I, I'll go on my my family day, my day off, which is usually Wednesday. Go out there and cut it down. And usually those people are working on those days. And so what I tell them, I said, I'll tell them, I'll say, put a mark on the tree so I know which trees are mine. And so they'll go out there and they'll put marks on the trees. Either they'll, they'll do spray paint or they'll, try, they'll, they'll, they'll tie a little ribbon on it or something. So I know that those trees belong to me. And they put these signs on these trees so that I know that I can take them as my own. God says, on your household, put the sign of the covenant showing that it belongs to me, that you are a part of this covenant community. You know, there are, I don't want to undercut everything I just said, but there are lots of Christians that love Jesus, that love the Bible, that would completely disagree with me on this. And I would encourage you to search this out for your own. But what is so encouraging is that you and me are not saved by perfect theology. Praise God, right? <laughs> we are not saved by perfect theology. Theology is extremely important, but we are not saved by it. You see, with all these signs and shadows and sacraments, we're not saved by those things, but we are saved by the one that the signs point to. We are saved by the one that the shadows point to. We are saved by the one that the sacraments point to, Jesus Christ. And to him be glory forever. Let's pray. Gracious God, we want to come to you in good integrity, God, and know what it looks like to apply the covenant sign to our family, to our household, Lord. It is not crystal clear in Scripture, I will admit. And so, God, I pray that you would, you would move our hearts to be obedient to you, Lord God. We hear the strong warnings of not applying it properly, Lord, and we heed those warnings. Pray as we wrestle through these things, God, that you would just guide our hearts in it, Lord. We love you, and our top priority is to glorify you. And so we pray that you would help us in this. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we celebrate Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, we are reminded that it is a new covenant. In Luke 22, Jesus gathers the disciples for the Passover feast. When the Passover becomes the Lord's Supper. And Jesus looks at them and gives thanks, and he says, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he gave thanks, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup after he had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. If you're here today and you trust in Jesus Christ, if you trust him as your savior, this is for you. This is for you to be nourished in the grace of God. If you're here today and you are investigating Christianity, this is not for you. This is for those who trust in Christ. We're so glad you're here. But we would ask that you, like us, would not be hypocrites that we would not take something that we don't actually believe in. We're going to distribute the elements here. Uh, we'll have ushers in the four rows. If you would just hand it back and forth, that would be helpful. Hold on to these, and we will take together.